Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. But today is Palm Sunday. You guys know that, right? Um, yeah, and Palm Sunday is a fun day to me. I, don't, I, just, I, I, I love it because it just it's the marker of the beginning of what many in the world call Holy Week. Um, the, 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 the time Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. And he enters the city of the Jerusalem. you got to understand he's entering into a city that for so many people, they were, they were completely, um, he, he had divided the city. There were com- people that were completely behind what he was doing. And they celebrated what he, when he came in and they sang songs. And then there were people, of course, who we call the religious leaders. They were, uh, they were very, at best, doubtful. But many of them were very, very antagonistic and very, very uh, upset. Jesus coming into the city and receiving praise. So the city was divided. And I just want to read this part of the story because it's so significant. It comes out of Matthew 21. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them to spread them out on the road, which is the palm branches, right? The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now the word Hosanna, just so you know, is an expression of adoration, praise, and joy. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I love the sentence, the whole city was stirred. That's one of the things Jesus does. He stirs things up in a good way. And, and I just want to, today, I just want to say, I want to pray our city is stirred. Stirred by the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus enters the city, he enters in power and authority as a king. But kings didn't ride in on donkeys, no. <laughs> they rode in on steeds. He rides in on a donkey. It was like majesty and meekness walking into the city, which is Jesus. And so I want to I actually want to take a couple moments of, of prayer today, and I want to pray over our city. I want to pray God would stir our city. Um, and I have three words that I want us to pray over our city, and, and, and I'm just going to have you, if you feel comfortable, to take a moment on your own and just pray these things over our city. But these are three words that I hear over and over again by other believers in Oklahoma City, but also I see them written on our walls in our prayer room. As you read those walls, you see these words coming up, and the three words on the screen are restore, unity, and revival. When I say restore, I mean there are so many broken, hurting, struggling people. Some of them look really well put together, by the way, don't they? And we just need restoration, the, the breath of God to breathe into those situations and to restore those who are broken, which is right at the heart right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, by the way, the restoration of all things. 
And I want to pray for unity. And I, when I say unity specifically, I want to pray unity in the ch- of the believers. Jesus in his prayer in the garden, he prayed that we would be one. You remember that? He says that the believers would be one. We have to pray that the church becomes one. And there's going to be a lot of churches. There's going to be denominations. I don't know if we can get past that. But could we? Could we? Could we find a, a, another level of unity in our city among the church? And then revival, and we say that word a lot, but praying revival means we're praying for an accelerated work of the Spirit in our city in which people by the thousands would come to know Jesus. That we would see that in our city. So I feel like today, if we're going to come in here and we're going to say it's Palm Sunday, we should say, you stirred up a city then, will you stir up a city now? So let's pray. And I'm just going to let you pray for a little bit on each one of these words, and then I'll kind of pray with, with you. But let's begin, if you're comfortable, um, to pray restoration, that God would restore those in our city who are struggling and hurting. Would you just start praying on your own? You can bow your heads to say a, a moment of prayer for each, each of these words. Just say, Lord, we just pray restoration. Three words over our city. We pray restoration in our city, restoration of those who need it. Just start praying. Jesus, we know you're going to restore all things. It's where it's all headed. But, Father, in the present right now, we pray that you would breathe into situations that need to be restored. Even in this city, we see all this restoration of old buildings and old physical space. But, Lord, we know that people are broken down and people are hurting, and they need to be restored. So this city is being restored physically, but, Lord, can we restore it spiritually? Would you bring restoration? Go ahead and start praying unity in our city, unity among the believers, that we would be one, that the dividing walls that get in between believers and in between theologies and doctrines and race and all those things, just pray unity. Father, may we be one more than ever. Father, in this city, may you unite your church for your glory and for your purpose. God, we pray that in the powerful name of Jesus. Lord, let's, now let's just pray revival. Would you just start praying revival? We've been saying that word for, praying that for a while now, but we just want to see an accelerated work of God in this city. Maybe specifically pray even this week that revival would sweep through churches. Easter Sunday, we'd see thousands saved across our city. So Lord, we pray you stir our city. Would Oklahoma City be stirred by the presence of God? We invite you to come in all your glory and majesty. 
we echo the words of these scriptures. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We praise you with adoration and joy today. Stir our city and turn the attention of tens of thousands of people to you, to which they would ask, like the people in Jerusalem ask, who is this? And we can declare it's Jesus, the Son of God. So we pray this in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends. I believe we have had a proper gathering of church so far today. Would you say that? Yeah? Some baptisms, some worship, some prayer. Um, well, good stuff. This week is Easter. It is Easter, and uh, I mean, I say this week, meaning in a week from today. And it's always good. Uh, I love this week, as I mentioned, between Palm Sunday and Easter because it focuses my heart personally on Jesus. And uh, I, I, perhaps more than ever, I want to encourage you to invite someone to come with you to Easter Sunday. And we are meeting next Sunday in the Tower Theater at 1030. And uh, so don't come at 930, come at 1030. And join us for one gathering. It's going to be powerful. But you know what we do in life is we invite people into the good things in our life all the time. It's very normal. Someone has a, finds a good restaurant, and you're like, oh, you got to go try this restaurant. It's amazing. Someone, someone, someone has, finds a good deal, you're like, you understand, i got this good deal I'm going to tell you about. And we invite people into the good things in our life, and I hope and pray that Jesus and the church is a good thing in your life. And you're going to say, I'm going to invite people in to the good things in my life. And I'm telling you, I think for most people, when they encounter Jesus, they would say it's better than, better than any of the other good things in their life. And so... We've created some shareable um, Easter invites just to help you, as you guys maybe heard last week. You can download them. You can, on our website, on our app, and invite a friend. Or you can do it just, just the old-fashioned way. Just go up to a friend and say, hey, do you want to go to Easter Sunday with me? It's totally cool. You don't have to, like, hashtag it or gram it or do whatever you want. I mean, just, you can, but you don't have to. Um, a couple of other things I want us to tell us about, really, and I, even talking about kind of what's coming up, these are like the heartbeat of what's happening outside of coming together and worshiping, um, inviting friends, caring about revival, praying for our city to be stirred up. We are in 24-7 prayer right now. We are two weeks in, believe it or not. We're going 21 days of nonstop prayer and um, night and day, and it's been good. It's been a powerful thing to witness people coming in and, and praying and, and just seeing kind of the steady stream of people into that room, and I know God's moving and doing cool things, and... Uh, things unfolding. And so it's not too late to jump in with us. I would encourage you guys to to be a part of 24-7 prayer. Um, please don't miss out. You can sign up. I think there's a few blank spots at like 2 a.m. in the morning. And so we need you. Um, and uh, you can come and pray with us. But seriously, even if there's a blank, even if it's already full, you can come and pray. You can pray in this room. You can join someone for prayer in the prayer room. Um, but this week, we are leaning into prayer for a number of reasons, um, not just because we're doing 24-7, but because we believe God has been leading our church for a number of weeks now as we've been reading the Gospels and as we've been in, in prayer in a number of ways um, leading up to Easter. And so one of the things we've done in the past is we've had Good Friday, Friday gatherings and other types of worship nights. We are having a worship night, a worship gathering this Wednesday which sort of seems lost in the shuffle, I will admit, of all the things going on in the church. I want to make sure everybody hears it. This Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a worship gathering. And 
partially because we just feel like, hey, we're in the middle of this week leading to Easter. We want to gather and we want to focus our hearts, of course. And so I'm hoping that every opportunity you have to turn your attention to Jesus this week, you will. Um, because it's, he's done so much for us, and we have, uh, we have the opportunity to give him glory this week. And so Wednesday night, you can be here for that. Um, and then one more thing I want to mention is in two weeks, we're having a night of worship at the Tower Theater. And this is a huge vision that, honestly, probably a couple years ago, we kind of felt like this is coming. Um, that we would have a night of worship in the Tower on this particular day, not just for OKC community, but for our city. And uh, we just felt like it would happen. So uh, April 28th is OKC Memorial Marathon Day. Um, so there's a practical reason of why we do it at night. Uh, we are in the loop of the marathon, which makes traveling by car to this location virtually impossible. And so we have night church on that date. So don't show up or don't try and come that morning. Uh, enjoy. Do something else. I don't know. Brunch it out. Whatever you want to do. And then... Join us at 6 o'clock that night. Since we are not having church that morning, you are, by the scriptural truth of God's word, required to be there that night. It says that somewhere. It's in the Bible. Trust me. I'm a pastor. I know. So you come that night at 6 o'clock. We're going to worship together. But what's really cool is we've invited uh, about 100 or so ministry leaders at a day with to join us that night. Um, and anybody in their church, and I think some of them are, we have four churches specifically that we've been working with that are like planning on bringing a big part of their church. Uh, Summit Church down in South OKC, Skyline Church down the road, um, Chosen Generation Church uh, here in Oklahoma City, and then a lot of the students at Crossings Community Church up in North OKC are going to be officially, if you will, apart, and then a lot of others are coming. So this is going to kind of be cool. It's not just an OKC community event, although I'm sure we'll be um, the largest group there because this is sort of us championing this. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of other wonderful people there as well. So we get to do something very cool that night. I feel like God's given us a vision for what we just prayed for. Unity, restoration, revival, all these things. Um, God's working and weaving together. So these are all good things, good things happening. Agree? God is moving. All right. So I told you last week that we are going to be talking about Jesus and the cross for two weeks. Um leading up to Easter, and what Jesus did on the cross, I think we would all agree is the peak of his purpose of why he came. He, came, he obviously came to teach us how to live, to show us how to love. He, he, came, to, he came to do a lot of things, but the, at the end of this, there was an actionable step that Jesus demonstrated on the cross that was his ultimate purpose of why he came. His ultimate action and love in action was what he did on the cross. For him to be the final sacrifice and final act of innocent blood spilled on our behalf to cover our shame and guilt. This is why Jesus came. And historically, we, up, we understand what the cross represents. Historically, we understand it was, it was an execution method. It was a, it was a method of torture and, and, and really to strike fear and to thwart uprisings and all those things. And the cross ultimately represents death. So to talk about the cross... You have to talk about death. And for a lot of us, the cross, though, it represents life. We understand Jesus died, but it represents some sort of life to us. And I want to share an idea with you today as we talk about the cross, and we have to talk about death. I want to talk about life. I want to talk about death. And I want to talk about the cross. And the idea is simply this. Death 
is the engine to life. And perhaps you already know that. Perhaps you already know that death is the engine to life. But I want to put it in a little bit of perspective. And I want to put a statement on the screen. And this is a statement that hopefully some of you are familiar with. Um, but the statement is just this. Our dream is to bring life to our city by loving God and living the gospel. Anybody know what this statement is? Categorically, what do we call this in an organism? Vision statement. We, we call it a dream statement because we're cool like that, but it's a vision statement. This, this is the vision statement of our church. And many churches say, well, how do you bring life to a city? And a lot of churches are like, oh, you do these really cool events, and you get people to show up, and maybe you give out, give out free hamburgers in a, in a park, and, and that's how you bring life. You know, you do lots of fun things that people like experience life in and it's just yeah life-giving and life and you don't even know what that means right it's like how do we bring life to a city well if death is the engine to life then how will we bring life to a city <laughs> if order if if, if 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 in order to bring life to something something has to die then what must die besides a few cows so we can have hamburgers at the park <laughs> well, first of all, I believe the city, to bring life to a city, they must first come to understand that Jesus, his ultimate death on the cross is what gives life, right? But secondly, as the people of God, we must come to understand that we are truly called to lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice in order to bring life to a city. For the sake of our city, we have to die to ourselves to some degree. So, Yes, we love our city, but I think every believer must come to this point. Am I willing, and we're using the term city as this general large scope of where we live and where God has us, but are we willing to die for our city? And you're like, well, well let's just keep going for a few minutes. I, I have a couple items for us up here. By the way, I think it's like this new thing. It would have been really cool if I didn't even mention it, but I'm not cool, so. So I have a couple items for us. I have a, I have a mango. And I have everybody's favorite Easter treat, peeps. To which I must ask, where my peeps at? It usually gets that response, too. It's not a good joke. I say it every year, and I get about six courtesy chuckles. Um, So let's, get, let's consider for a moment, I'll bring the peeps back in a moment, but let's consider for a moment this mango. This mango was recently fully alive, right? It was alive when it was, of course, pulled from the tree. Its death did begin, but it still has some life in it. It still has some life in it in this moment. Um, and much of the food that we eat was at one time alive. Whether it be fruits or vegetables or pasta or bread or chicken or sh shrimps, right, with an S. No matter what it is, at one time it was alive. And through the death of these things, we actually live. And, and when you see fruit like this, fruit like this, a mango, for example, is it's an amazing fruit. I mean, it's God's, I mean, some of the most amazing flavors come straight off the tree. You know what I mean? Like the original condition of things, I mean, God knows what he's doing. It's pretty amazing. Well, we were in El Salvador a few months, a few weeks ago, and we, there was mango trees everywhere, and they were in season. And so, yes, Stephen and I pull a mango from the tree, and we eat the mango from the tree, and it was delicioso. <laughs> it was awesome. And so, and it gives me life in so many ways. But the less 
the food, and here it is. When I completely consume this, when I completely put it to its final death, right? Well, its final death gives me life, right? Because death is the engine to life. But the less the food was originally alive, the less life it gives. Meaning the more chemical the item is that you're eating, the less life it gives. So these peeps right here, although they are chickens, they were never really alive. (laughs) There's a few items that might have been alive at once in these things. Some sugar, maybe something else. I don't know. But a lot of chemicals go in this. That's why they can last for, they have a shelf life of 17 years. (laughs) You're like, hold on, really? Yes. So one might say, if there's this reality that the less something was originally alive, the less, it actu- the less life it actually gives me, we can make the conclusion that man cannot live on peeps alone. <laughs> This is so good. (laughs) The more peeps we eat, the less we live. Are you with me now? This is probably a good rule to live by. However, this mango is very much alive at one point, and, uh, and it brings us life. This is well documented stuff. I'm just talking about the circle of life. The great Mufasa talked about this, right? The lions eat the antelope, the lions die, become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass, right? It's the circle of life, my friends. Who's ready for Lion King live action? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm pumped about it. So if you eat, you already believe this stuff. I'm just telling you basic stuff here. I get it. But this week, as we focus on the cross what Jesus did for us. We have to understand that that's something that the more alive it actually was, the more life it gives in its death. And so if Jesus is the author of life, the giver of life, the one who gives the fullness of life, somehow in his death, it gives more life than anything else has ever given because the more something was alive in its death, the more life it gives. And Jesus in this story of the cross, the story of the cross, what Jesus did for us, it's this symbol of hope and grace and controversy and love and pain and all this sort of stuff and wonder, but it's more than a symbol. It's a story. It's something that actually happened. And I think sometimes we lose the story of what Jesus did because in his death and what he did for us, something supernaturally changed everything. Jesus changed the realities about life and death at the cross. So I want to do something a little different today. I'm going to have someone read from God's word for us for for several minutes. So Ashley, you can go ahead and come up here. But I want us to read the story of the cross. It's powerful to encounter every time I read it. The the story of the cross shows me something new. But this, where we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. By that point in the story, Jesus had already been arrested. His disciples had already fled. Peter had already denied him three, time and three times, and now he's standing in front of the Roman governor, um, Pilate, in front of this ridiculous trial, 
all by himself, about to face what we call the crucifixion. And so we're just going to read and just allow the story to just kind of hit us. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but they instead but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I just want to pause for a second. You know, that there's a couple of words they say so quickly. They had Jesus flogged. You know, Hebrew law was a limited nine, 30. Most of you know what flogging is. It's a form of being whipped. And Hebrew law limited 39 lashes to be given. The Romans had no such law. The Romans were just, as long as they still are able to stand, we'll keep hitting them. Most, most theologians believe that since Jesus was unable to carry his cross all the way to Golgotha, he was probably lashed somewhere around a hundred times. And we all know that these floggings, they, the whips at the end of them, they had bone on them, they had balls of lead on them, so when it would hit the body, it would not only rip the flesh, but it would leave contusions, and the pain would be literally unbearable. So these little words that the authors write in them, they're so heavy, so loaded. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man named Serene, named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused it. When they had crucified him,
just want to pause there. When they crucified him, <laughs> again, just this short line, Matthew writes and Mark writes, and then they crucified him. Five words. And we all know, again, what crucifixion means. It means that they stretched Jesus out on this wooden cross that was probably, they were chopped down from these trees, this wooden tree that was made into the form fashion of a cross. And they take these spikes, these nine-inch spikes, and they drive them, of course, through his body and through the two bones in his wrist to attach them to them and then through the area of his ankles and his feet right into the cross. They hang him up. And he's hanging there with blood running down and now being crucified. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. A sentence always amazes me. It's in the middle of the day, and darkness comes over the land. Well, it's not, just so you know, it's no, there, wasn't, there wasn't a, it wasn't just cloud coverage. It wasn't an eclipse. In fact, the time of year it was on the Jewish calendar, an eclipse would have been impossible. God brings darkness over the land because of the sin of the world, God's rejection of that sin. The world goes dark as Jesus hangs on the cross. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he is the Son of God. The earth shook. 
Jesus enters the city and the city is stirred. Jesus dies on the cross and the city shakes. If something is more alive, the more life it gives in its death. It stands to reason that Jesus in his death gives more life than anything else this world can possibly give. And I know that there are people that we consume money and we consume success or personal accomplishment and we try to, we try to find life in all the things that the world has to offer. And what we find at the end of them, most of those things are chemically engineered, man-made things that were never actually alive. They're full of death. And until we taste and see that God is good, until we consume what Jesus did, we never really truly find life. And I know that some in this room, we're still searching. We're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to kind of even reconcile our whole concept of God in our life. And I would just want to encourage you today that until you receive Jesus, until you surrender to Jesus, you're never going to find life. None of that stuff can save us. Only God can do that. Matthew 7, 13 says, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Or we could say death, right? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. All those things that go on in the world that everybody chases after, that everybody's going after, all those things lead to destruction. But small is the gate. And he's talking about his way of salvation. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to, say with me, life. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So today, do you need to find life in Jesus? Do you need to find life in what he did for you on the cross and his death? And I know that some of us for the first time need to do that, and some of us need to come back to the cross again because we've, we've gotten off and we've started trying to find life in other things. And, and your everyday life, if you're being honest, is killing you. <laughs> because what you're doing is it's chemically engineered, man-made stuff that ultimately was never really alive. The enemy wants to stop the spirit from working within you. You know that, right? And this is what he does to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know, after Jesus was crucified and then he was resurrected, which we'll talk about next week, and he was resurrected, well then he says to them, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending the spirit of truth to be with you. I'm sending the spirit of God to be with you. And the enemy, he wants to stop the spirit at work within you. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants you to do all the work. He doesn't want the spirit doing any work. He wants you taking all the credit for life and you thinking you've done a really good job and you're like, wow, look how I pulled myself up. Look at all the success I've done. Or maybe even you just trying to dig yourself out of the hole that you found. He wants you doing all the work and he wants to tell you how good you are and how good and how you can actually do it by yourself. And here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to deceive you and he's trying to tell you that you can do it. But here's the thing. Only Christ can do it. Only Jesus can do it. And he is where life is. And the spirit of God that Jesus sent is going to give you life. Let me show you something about life and death in the spirit. The spirit 
This is John 6, 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing, meaning what you can do counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. And then I love what Paul writes in Romans 8. He says this. He says, the mind is governed by the flesh. The mind that is governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, well, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Come on. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So yes, Christ's death is our access to life. And Jesus, in the word of God, he calls us to the same sort of thing in our own life. To die to our old selves. To die to the mind of flesh. To die to that mind of flesh. And when we die to all that stuff, and we instead have a life governed by the mind of the Spirit, it gives us life and peace. So every day, we must die to our earthly nature. We must die to the things that Jesus died for. And put on the spirit that he sent for us that gives us life. Because death, my friends, is the engine to life. So what if we offered ourselves as a living sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom? What if we actually said this city, our neighborhood, our family, our friends, people who need Jesus, like we're gonna we're gonna love like Jesus loved, we're gonna serve like he served, and we're gonna people be people who are willing to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for the good of others. That, just so you know, sidebar, that's how you bring life to a city. That's how you bring life to a city. And I just want us to be clear, this is why we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. We don't pray it for ourselves, we pray it for our city. Come Holy Spirit, come. This is why we say, God, we want more of you. This is why we say, our hearts cry is for the Spirit to break through because where the Spirit is, there is life. This is why we say we want the Lord to change the atmosphere. We want his presence in this room. This is why we want to get swept up in the revival in our city because we want people to experience life. We want to see life brought to our city. We want to see life brought to this church. We want to see life brought to individuals sitting right here in this room today. We want you to experience life to the full because that's why Jesus came. That's why he gave his life. That's why he died on the cross. So the story of the cross is about death, but it's also about life. <laughs> and this instrument that was used to thwart uprisings and to crush movements, God flipped it on its head and said the cross is now a symbol of life and hope. I'm fully aware that so many people are living life but not feeling life in this room. Instead, we're feeling the enemy's attempt to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm fully aware that that's happening. In fact, I'm more aware of it right now than I have been in a while. 
we're experiencing the weight of the world and all its sin and it's heavy. And I just want to say to those of you that are in that situation right now, I'm very sorry for what you're going through. Very sorry. I know you're tired and I know you're hurting. The cross is where we find life. It's where death stays and the spirit rises. It's where the old is gone and the new has come. The cross is where we come to Christ and you can and we say to him, you can have it all, Lord. And I know some of you are living life but you aren't feeling life that's why Jesus died for you when Jesus died on the cross <laughs> the whole city was shaken the whole city experienced a breakthrough of the spirit at work instead of us at work miracles resurrection power all over the city and so my, my hope, my prayer today as I'm about to pray is just this. God, will you shake our city? Will you stir us up? Will your spirit break out? We, we need, we need his spirit. We need his spirit to bring life to the city. And I'm going to say this. I know that we need his spirit to bring life to this church right now. And, he needs, and we need his spirit to bring life to individuals sitting in this room right now. And I just want to declare today that today he wants to give you life. So we're going to pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Move in our hearts, draw us close to you. As we're about to sing, I believe God is calling some of you to come to the altar and pray and keep and treat this like we did last week this is like coming to the foot of the cross today laying down the things that you've been trying to find life in that you're realizing today they don't have any life they're actually man-made chemically induced things that were never fully alive and you're trying to find all your purpose in life in them and it's time to come to the cross and say god i'm not going to find life in that anymore i'm going to find life in you i need to do that it's time to say, I'm going to take, not allow my mind to be governed by the, the, by, by the, by the things of the flesh, but I'm going to have my mind governed by the things of the Spirit, because the Spirit is what gives life. And some of us have to come to the altar, and we just got to pray that today. We know Jesus. We already know him. And we just need to come, and we need to say, God, I'm coming to the cross again, because I need the cross every day in my life. I need to lay down the things of the flesh, and I'm going to put on the things of the Spirit. Some in this room need to give their life to Jesus today, and so I would just say I want you to come. If you're just feeling conviction, I need to give my life to Christ today. If I want to, I need to come and I need to make my life, I need to change my life. I need to give it to Jesus. I need to give it to God. I need to quit fighting him. Well, today's the day. It could be the day of your salvation. And then I know some have prayer needs. Some have needs for healing. Some have needs for breakthrough in your life. Um, we're going, to be, we're going to be standing over here on, the, on the, your right side of the stage. And we're just going to pray for anybody who comes and wants to be prayed with. And you can just come over there. And if I or our team is praying with someone, you can just wait there. There'll be a line on the side. And you can just kind of wait. We want, we want to pray with every person today. And so 
If you need prayer today, come and pray with us. Use this altar space. But we're going to pray the Spirit to break out in this city. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you this day. It's yours. Thank you for the cross of Jesus. Thank you for what it did. Thank you that death is the engine to life. Thank you for the picture today of people being buried with Christ in baptism, putting to death the old self, and being raised to walk in a new life. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.